This is Claiming Your Voice with Janice Garrard. In this podcast, I feature guests with passionate stories of hope, inspiring others to claim their voice in a world where we can be bold together. Tonight, my guest is Brett Kasky. He's a higher education professional. He's focused on helping everyone involved in higher education develop to their fullest potential. Brett uses the pronouns as he, him, his, He was born and raised in Southwest Iowa, and as a first-generation queer transfer student, he successfully graduated from Iowa Western Community College with an associate's degree. He went on to the University of Iowa and earned both a bachelor's and a master's degree. Brett is a Ravenclaw. He's an INFJ from the Myers-Briggs test, and his top five strengths are responsibility, achiever, includer, input, and empathy. In his free time, Brett enjoys reading a wide array of books and snuggling with his adopted cat, Sir Marcus. Wow. Welcome, Brett. And tonight, the topic is Experiencing My Queer, a title of your choice. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm excited to hear your story this evening. So let's just jump right into it. Experiencing My Queer. Tell us about that. So... For me, my life, especially if you look at my Myers-Briggs and my strengths, everything is like an order and a chronologicalness to it, if you will. Um, So really for me, this starts with going backwards to the beginning. For me, age 10 through 12, I started to notice that, you know, unlike other people around me who, you know, at the elementary school age, talking about, you know, having, you know, friends and boyfriends and girlfriends, like traditionally, um, I noticed that people around me were falling in line with like what was expected from society. And so typically that meant, you know, girls would be interested in the boys and the boys would be interested in the girls, which I will say, you know, younger than that, I definitely fell in line with it because hormones weren't a thing yet. (laughs) But then as puberty began, for me, what happened was I noticed, you know, boys are more interesting than girls in more the way than one. <laughs> um, but I guess in, in starting out with, you know, the story for me, it's all about the idea of saliency in my queer identity. Um, back then, you know, I didn't even have an idea of what it really meant to find someone both emotionally and physically attractive. It was just, hmm, boys seem more interesting than girls for some reason at that age. Okay, so like and you're then, saying, when you were younger, though, that you fell in line with those traditional gender roles, mm-hmm. liking a girl, but then as you got older, then that didn't seem to really fit in with what you were feeling or thinking. Correct. Better. So yeah, from, you know, before age 10, roughly fifth grade, it was all about, you know, who has a boyfriend, who has a girlfriend in class? And for me, it was like, well, I like this girl like as in you know as I put up my air quotes because what does that really mean at age nine eight really but yeah so I definitely was uh subscribing to the gender roles and the heteronormativity that was given to me based on everything around me at the time because even at that age you know I don't readily remember anyone in my life who I knew that was queer Or if I did, it didn't, you know, make sense. Like I didn't understand it because it was something that just never existed in my life based on who my parents were, who my family was and who we connected ourselves with. Not saying there was anything malicious going on, but it just, 
there was no connection to anyone who I knowingly knew was in the queer community. So it was something that was, you're saying that was unfamiliar to you. So then when you started having maybe those feelings of not what we would call the traditional liking people or whatever, what did, what did you think about your thinking or what did you think about your feeling? So the way I navigated that honestly was to use the tools that I had grown up with, which for me was, you know, a Christian Bible. Like, what does the Bible say about X, Y, and Z? And as much as I didn't know anyone who was gay, lesbian, queer, bisexual, even at that age, I did know one thing. And that was based on like, it was wrong for two people of the same gender to, you know, be in love with each other. Like that is something that I definitely knew was not correct. And so that saturation of knowing that that was wrong, it didn't affect me so much in elementary school because again, I hadn't really developed the neurological pathways to understand like, what does this mean to find men interesting or boys more interesting than women at this point? And so, you know, progressing on into middle school and really through high school, I kind of categorized my age of like 13 to 19 is where I really started to struggle with this idea that, you know, I have these feelings, especially like of a more sexual nature. I feel that more towards men versus like how I feel about women. But based on, you know, society's expectations and what my parents expected me, it's very much so not okay to, you know, indulge these like more lustful desires as, you know, I would like biblically try to categorize stuff like, you know, I should be married to a woman, I should have a family, that kind of thing. And so during this teenage age, it was all about still having a girlfriend because that's what society wanted and that's what was easier while still having these feelings and trying to reconcile with what does it mean that if I even find someone who identifies as a woman like emotionally connected but what does that mean if I'm not actually like sexually attracted which again having a biblical basis for how I navigated life at that point a lot more important to me than it is now sex wasn't even on the table because it was something that you know you wait till marriage like it wasn't a thing. And for me as a teenager, it wasn't a thing more so in general, because I was so like, you know, in the weeds about like, what does this actually mean that I didn't, you know, even have the chance per se to engage in it. Not that it mattered, (laughs) but for me, it just wasn't a thing to explore because I was so caught up in the other like emotional parts. And what does this mean for me as a person in relation to my family, in relation to my friends, in relation to how society sees me? So then as you were navigating all of this, it seems to me having that strong religious background that there would be, there's a real dichotomy there in thinking. So how have you come to terms with that? You know, I will say now I understand it intellectually, obviously having a full grown 30 year old uh, brain. Um, But at that time, you know, I think truly as teenagers, we rule from the emotional point, not the rational point. For me, it was it like, I would say like I categorized it, especially, you know, when I was turning 18, 19 and starting to go to college. For me, it was working through the idea of like, well, if I can't be straight, 
then I'd rather be alone because then at least I'm not a sinful person and I can still be accepted by mainstream society because if I'm not acting on these urges or trying to actively be in a relationship with someone of the same gender publicly, then there's nothing wrong with me. But again, the emphasis on there's something wrong, but I'm trying to fix it by just not indulging that or exploring that. And really at this age too is like where, like I would say more towards the end, definitely when I was at the college level between 18, 19, even to 20, there was, the, there was a part of me that definitely reconciled, well, maybe I am bisexual because that was a safety net to like try and be like, maybe I should try, maybe I want to try these other things, but I don't want to commit to possibly having to be labeled as like gay or queer or, you know, et cetera. You just don't, you didn't want to take on that kind of a label. Exactly. Right? Because having that label in my mind at the time deemed all these other things. Like for me, and like even, you know, coming to the understanding of being a bisexual person or being a queer person, for me, I couldn't even imagine telling my parents or my family members at this point, because my thought was on, you know, all the examples I've seen in the media at that time of like when teenagers come out to their parents and they get kicked out and they get pushed out of their lives because they don't believe in it. They think it's wrong and they don't want it in their house kind of thing. And so for me, at that time, it was very much so a, I can't even imagine telling anyone this, like, let alone, you know, friends, let alone like all my family members. But, you know, that led into kind of that next phase when I moved away to Iowa City for the first time as an undergrad in college. And I got the chance to, um, you know, really explore that more in an environment that was much more liberal than Southwest Iowa. And for me, you know, I, I can still remember this because in, in the moment, it was very much so like, what is going on here? And it was, uh, I saw two women uh, making out in the street and it was like, fine, no one was, you know, no one was coming after them, calling them, you know, mean names, no one's telling them that you're going to burn in hell and that kind of thing. And I was just like, huh, well, that's different. <laughs> and so for me, that was the first time of like, there's some legitimacy here to being who I am internally but I was still not at a point where I'm like, I'm ready to accept that. It was this idea that, okay, maybe there's space here for me, get to try new things and experiment and be open to it. This was also for me, the point at which between 20 and 24, I definitely reconciled like the, well, nope, it's definitely boys. Boys are who I like, men are who I like, like that is the definite thing. There's no question about the bisexuality. Because of that understanding of what that was for me, it brought about this idea of like, okay, well then how do I, you know, manage that along with like a Christian identity? What does that mean for me? And so with that in mind, it really became this like battle between like, I hold this identity uh, being a gay person and wanting to be in a relationship with someone not even like what I would now know as like I'm not even a sexual person who's like I'm not interested I, like I feel this way but I'm not interested like it was no I want to be with someone but then also I want to be a good Christian person what does that mean and so these two were like these competing ideas of you know I can't exist the way that I am and at this point too the saliency of that identity was becoming more important you know I would say between ages 10 and 19, because I had so many other things going on, it really didn't matter to me as much. Like 
at least I tried to play it off as that, you know, being a gay person or being a straight person, like, oh, it doesn't matter as much because I'm focused on X, Y, and Z. Whereas now at this age, it was like, no, this means more than I think it does. And I don't want to downplay it. And so at age 23, we go on to going to grad school. And it was really between 23 and 25, I came to understand like, these two things can exist mutually. Now, what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, you know, changes depending upon the situation, but I can be both a Christian person and a queer person. And then in moving on, you know, from that phase to what I call like the 25-26 phase, it was anyone I meet from here on out, like, I'm like, it's important that they know that I'm a queer person, hands down, like that is important to me anyone that I meet that's new. But at that point, it was still very much so of, is this a like a conversation I want to have with my parents yet? Because up to this point, I had come, like, because it had become such an important topic for me, I had come to the point of like, this is something I want to share with anyone I meet that's like new that I feel safe around. So anyone I work with, this is something I want to tell my friends if I haven't already told them. But I'm like, my parents and family, I'm like, no, I don't want to go there yet because I'm still living uh, emotionally in the area of fear that they're going to reject me. And honestly, for the first, like, you know, you figure I've known for sure since I was 20, 21, that I'm definitely like a gay person. And you figure I take another five years before I work up the courage to say, okay, I'm going to tell my parents about this. And one of the things, and I will say, my parents never gave me any kind of indication that they would reject me for like X, Y, and Z or anything like that, really, like never. And, but up until that point, I had coached myself, I will say, into thinking, okay, what happens if they do reject me? Like, I need to be somewhere where, you know, I'm not living at home, I'm on my own. Um, I'm in a place where I can financially make it independently. Like I basically ran the gamut of, can I make this work both in an emotional, a financial sense and everything like that. And so finally at 26, I remember I came home for my mom's birthday slash the 4th of July. And finally, like, that's when I told her and she wasn't surprised. And she was like, more or less just waiting for me to talk about it. Cause she had asked me about it maybe once or twice before, but that was in a place where I wasn't ready to talk about it. But I told her, lo and behold, nothing bad happened. <laughs> um, and then she mentioned it to my dad, but there was definitely some instant regret because for me, there was a, this idea of like, now I can't hide behind the safety net of the unknown, I guess you should say, cause mm-hmm. they were never going to probably confront me about it unless something drastic happened. But then the safety net of the unknown, I took it away and put myself in a very vulnerable situation. Now, moving on from that, like, it's fine. Like, everything is fine. I will say the longer it goes on since that point, we definitely talk about it more. And we talk about like on, it on like a political scale and stuff like that. And it's just small things, really. But I'm also okay with that because for me, it's like, I don't necessarily like want to talk to them about any kind of relationship slash there's also no relationship to talk with them about. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it's fine. It's fine. Have you ever been in the position where you've had a partner, where you take your partner home to meet your parents? I have yet to experience that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also some of the, like some 
parts of my queerness experiencing it that I haven't really had yet. And part of that comes from other issues that I've had in my life around body image and, you know, what people within the queer community like are looking for slash what am I opening myself up to? And so that for me just hasn't existed yet, but you know, I'm hopeful. You're hopeful. Well, we are hopeful with you then to find a loving partner. So what words of wisdom do you have to young students? You work in higher education and student services and we hear language about creating safe spaces for students to come out to be who they are you know, based on race, color, creed. What about safe spaces then for students who identify then in the queer community? You know, for me, like I think about how, as obviously as a queer person, my bias is like a little bit there. But for me, it's about the symbolism that I set up in for myself as well as for others. So, you know, if someone is interested in, you know, being more open, about their queerness and just really opening up that conversation potentially with someone. Think about, you know, what are the ways that you present yourself? Um, One of the things I always will mention to anyone wanting to learn more about identity, especially queer identity, is the um, unicorn, the gender unicorn uh, model, which presents a very interesting output on like, you know, what is gender? What is sex? What is expression? What is emotional attraction, what's all of these kind of things. And so I would say for someone looking to connect with someone potentially, like just think about the small things you can do. Is it a bracelet that maybe can symbolize either you're an ally or you're part of the community? You know, I think about the watch face on my Apple watch. It's a pride flag. It's been since they released that one. And for me, that's been some ways I think that people have identified me in that way, which is fine. But for me, it's a small symbolism of like my unity with the community in that way. But I would also say never feel like you have to talk about that and never feel like you have to put yourself in a position where you like you're forced to admit something like that. You know, find the spaces where you feel safe doing that. And I hope that there are spaces on any student's campus, but I know sometimes depending upon if it's a religious campus, if it's a small community and there's not a lot of people like yourself, that can be hard. I mean, I can remember even being at Iowa Western. I don't recall as a student back when we were peaking at enrollment, back when I was enrolled at Iowa Western as a student that, you know, I can remember another queer person knowingly. And so sometimes even the biggest of groups, you don't find those other people. But really I would say, seek out the spaces where you can like be encouraged to ask questions and experiment with stuff, especially um, larger universities, they typically will have like a pride resource center or something like that. Um, And it's also for the straight folks too, because it's definitely not just about the queer folks, but it's also about straight folks and helping them understand what does it mean to be a part of this community? What are the different identities that go along with that? But those would be some of my words of wisdom is, you know, try expressing yourself authentically, but also don't open yourself up to danger or feel like you have to admit something, but also seek out those resources that exist on your campus. I think those are very good words for students who are in higher education. And I think kudos to our student service people across our universities, community colleges, 
who are providing those safe spaces for all students. Like you said, even the straight students that, that are coming into this seeking deep, deeper understanding. And I think that that is what, I'm gonna just throw in my opinion here, Brett, is that I think the deeper understanding is what's going to hopefully totally eliminate bias thinking. I would agree with that, especially if we have, you know, if we have the spaces just as even staff members to talk about queerness on campus and gender, and we have initiatives to, you know, if more people on campus put their pronouns in their um, email signature, you know, it shows like, even though it's a small thing, it can show some type of unity and openness that exists on campus. For me, and I guess I say this more to staff member administrators, if you really want to open up the conversation for students uh, who identify within the queer community or just students who want to know more about X, Y, and Z, it really will start with, again, the symbolism, because that's a big thing for me. Because I always notice when I walk into someone's office, you know, the things, the artifacts that they have around them, because that's something that's important to them. And so if we're crafting spaces for openness, we have to include that type of symbolism to really garner a space for students where they feel like they can be themselves authentically on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're saying like the visual artifacts mm -hmm. are representational, showing, giving signals to students that they that that individual would be a safe person, a safe space for them to come and, and be themselves. Exactly. Especially, you know, at my institution and working at Iowa Western, it is definitely probably the least diverse when it comes to um, queerness, unfortunately, just based on our student population, our location, et cetera, but also just and some of the initiatives, like, do I know a ton, a decent number of queer people who work there? Sure. But again, when like the symbolism has to be there and the unity, you know, what are we doing during Pride Month on campus to really show students, staff and faculty, like, again, for me, it's everyone who works in higher ed, that you belong, you have a voice here and you matter. Because Again, it could be a pride flag. It could be the stickers that we use at Iowa Western on our offices to show a safe space. It could be pins, it could be whatever, but just really showing that symbolism. But also I think with that, it's one thing to do safe space training, but it's also another to really have folks dive into you know, these identities. Like I think for anyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, their gender identity, I think everyone should, you know, take stock and inventory on that and really try to understand how do I truly identify? Like, do I feel like I am a male because I've always been male? I was assigned male? Or do I actually feel that way based on what I know about what it means to be a male? Which, I mean, that's a very vague, vague <laughs> example. But like, you know, what does it mean to be male? I don't know. It means something different for me than it does for someone else who identifies as that. But just really doing that critical inventory analysis of themselves. I was just thinking about what you're saying about what does it mean to be a male? Does it, what does it mean to be a woman? And I think it comes down to sometimes the modeling maybe that we've had or the modeling that we haven't had. Sometimes it comes from deep within who we are and who, what our our being, our truest, deepest self is mm -hmm. to know to know that identity, to claim that, to know who we are, mm -hmm. and to really 
I mean, just have permission to live, you know, for me, I had, I know I had the permission to live as a male in like what I consider to be masculinity and maleness. And for some people, they would say like, that's not really what I consider male. And I'm like, well, that's your perspective. We're talking about my experience. And I guess it's, this goes back to the argument of gender as we knew it used to exist on a binary. There's man, there's women and there's men. Whereas like there's more of a spectrum and there's fluidity in that. You know, some days I may feel more like womanly, I may feel more manly, and it just depends on the context. But I think if we all could get comfortable with that idea that we exist on the spectrum, and again, it's not a tool as to say, oh, if you ever like, and I think of this as some fragility, especially in like fragile masculinity, you know, if you ever feel any bit like a woman for a straight cisgendered man, then that means, oh no, am I gay? And that's like, no. That's not what the goal is. It's just to realize that there is a spectrum and we all exist on it at different places. So what I hear you saying is that men can have feelings of femininity. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe that? For me, the examples that come up are femininity is something like, and I mean, it's a societal assignment of feelings, obviously, but my more feminine qualities are my ability to really empathize with people, to connect with people to be able to connect with them on a more like nurturing basis um but also to enjoy things that you know i would say classically men are not supposed to enjoy like you know i love i love a good bath and body works candle lotion as much as the next person (laughs) but see it's like those shallow kind of examples of like what is female what is male all those kind of things that really showcase for me what does it mean to be a more fe- effeminate person? So you have to tell me what's your favorite Bath and Body Works candle? Oh, uh, champagne toast. Mm, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's it's a good fruity mixture, much like myself, which I always make jokes about because it's funny. I think the one thing that I'm hearing you when you say we're on the spectrum as humans, that we can possess traits of what society calls masculine, of what society calls femininity, mm-hmm. and that as humans, we can possess those traits. And I think from listening to you talk, mm-hmm. the most imp- or, uh, important thing that I'm hearing is that just understanding mm-hmm. to respect, to respect one another. Exactly. And I mean, for that big respect piece, it's, you know, for the first time when I've met for the first time I met a transgender person I didn't know how to read like I didn't know what my reaction would be I didn't know like what what like what exactly like I'd understand the concept but then it was you know understanding that there's no there's nothing wrong with this there's nothing wrong with being a trans person with being a gay person with being a polyamorous person who is interested and has like multiple partners there's nothing wrong with that And even though my lifestyle is not like that, there's still nothing wrong with it. And just being open to understanding, like, you know, well, how did you, like, for me, I'm such an inquisitive person with one of my top strengths being input. I'm always like, I feel like I'm collecting data points just because I'm like, I'm interested in like, so what does that mean to be in a polyamorous relationship? Like, how does that work, honestly? (laughs) 
<laughs> and like, what does it mean to identify as a trans person or maybe someone who detransitions, retransitions back to their assigned gender? Like there's all these things that I have no understanding of even with my, within my own community that I just want to know more about. And the fact is, even if I don't understand it, I still want to respect it so that people are open to telling me their stories. Absolutely. Brett, I thank you for telling us your story tonight. Is there anything else you would like to share? You know, like just for anyone, I would say get a little queer with it, you know, dig in deep a little bit, Ex you know, explore something that you never thought you would want to explore or that you could explore because there's nothing that we can't do in this life. And why waste it just living in the mundane if there's something more special out there that we can experience? Sounds exciting. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you so much for having me.